Good morning. morning. My name is Cole. I'm a a tender at Northbridge Church, uh, where Pastor John is this morning preaching, and so he's asked me to 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 be here um, while he is there. Uh, there was a uh, a preacher named uh, named D. L. Moody who lived during the 20th century, and he was very young. And one time he preached, and somebody uh, came up to him afterwards, and they said, "You know what? That was that was terrible." And they're like, "You just you do not you know have the gift of preaching." And he said, "Thank you for telling that. Please uh, pray for me so that I'll do better next time." And uh, so before we begin, um, would you please take? Uh, 10 10 seconds, 15 seconds, and just pray for the message before it's preached. Amen. Uh, John has given me, uh, you all are going through uh, the book of Ephesians right now, and John has specifically asked me to preach on the topic of how the church submits to Christ, all right? How does the church submit to Christ? That's, uh, we read that in Ephesians 5. We see verses like 23 and 24, which says Christ is the head of the church and that the church submits to Christ. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Uh, a few years ago, I had a great job. I got to, to essentially babysit three brothers, ages 11, 13, and 15, and it was a lot of fun. It didn't often feel like a job, uh, but of course, they uh, were not perfect, and uh, one day, I took them sledding, and uh, I had been, you know, it just snowed, and it was, it was great, and I was hanging out with the youngest of them, and I noticed that the two older ones were fighting, and so I made my way over there to break that up, and the older brother managed to get on top of his younger brother, and he uh, had his head in the snow and was moving it around like so with one hand, and then in his other hand, he was uh, scooping up snow and shoving it down his coat. And while he was doing that, uh, he was yelling, you know, one word over and over again, submit, submit, submit. And uh, so now whenever I read something like the church is to submit to Christ, that's, that's the, the picture that automatically comes into my head, and, uh, which, is, which is not good. And uh, I think that that's hopefully not the image that comes into your head, but often we have negative uh, connotations. We make negative connections with this word submit. Uh, Not too long ago, I was at a wedding, Christian guy and a Christian gal. um, They chose to use traditional vows and they left out uh, one part, the one part where the wife vows to submit to her husband. And I'm I'm not judging that, just making that observation. It's interesting. I feel like, you know, if you're going to go with traditional vows, you just kind of go all the way, but they still felt like that that, that part uh, should be left out. And I think that's because of uh, many of the negative connotations that we, uh, we have with that word submit. And I don't think as Christians that we need to get rid of that word. I do think that we need to, to rescue it, perhaps from the world. But in rescuing that word submit, it's not going to necessarily become less offensive. All right, so we as Christians, we want to be inoffensive insofar as uh, we can. We don't want to be unnecessarily offensive. Um, but with the word submit, I, would, uh, I think that once we define it biblically, it becomes more offensive. And I, perhaps you'll see why. So how does, this Christ, how, does, excuse me, how does the church submit to Christ? Well, first of all, we have to ask why. Why does the church submit to Christ? What's the, what's the purpose there? Why would we do that as CityGate Church? 
And the reason, you don't actually have to leave the book of Ephesians to figure it out. We can just turn back a couple of pages and we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So the church submits to Christ because Christ is Lord. So in the context specifically of the church submitting to Christ, submission means rightly responding to the lordship of Christ. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 1. Christ is Lord of everything, so as human history continues, what's going to happen is that more and more of his creation is going to willingly submit to him until the end when Christ returns. And what the church is doing is it's modeling for the world how the world ought to be living. There's a pastor one time who said that every Christian's life is a sermon to the world. And I think that's true. And I also think it's true that every church is preaching a sermon to the world. And perhaps we could say that that sermon uh, is Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, which says, uh, submit to the Lord or pay homage to the Lord, lest you perish, but all who take refuge in him are happy. So what we're saying to the world is that this is how you ought to be living. You ought to be living in submission to the Lordship of Christ. And that is the right way to live in the world. That's the right way to respond because Christ is Lord. And so we model that for the world. And what I, I want to do uh, this morning, as a, we, I want to look at what are the attributes of Christ's Lordship, right? What does it mean that Christ is Lord? And I think there's, there's three broad attributes we could give for that. Um, control, authority, and presence. So those are the three kind of topics we're going to go through. How does um, the authority of Christ relate to his lordship, the control, um, his presence. And we're going to go over all those attributes, and then we're going to think very practically, how can we, how can you, as CityGate Church, um, model submission in those three areas for the world? How can you model submission to Lord of the lordship of Christ to proclaim uh, who he is and what he's done? So the first thing um, is that we're going to talk about is control. All right, control. Christ is in control. And I want to define control as Christ has absolute power over everything. And so that's what control means. Christ has absolute power over everything. It doesn't have an out of bounds. Christ's control does not have an out of bounds. We see that, in, again, we don't have to flip very far. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse, um, starting in verse 10 says, As a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him, in him we have received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement to the purpose of his will. Everything. I want to focus on that word, everything. The one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. What does that word everything mean? It means that you can cross it out and you can write anything you want above it and it applies. So, for instance, God through Christ, works out every presidential election in agreement with the purpose of his will. He uh, works out every event in history in agreement with the purpose of his will. He works out every evil action in agreement to the purpose of his will. He works out 
every human decision in agreement to the purpose of his will. And we, we struggle with that. We struggle with submitting to Christ's control and understanding it because you might think, how is it that Christ uh, is perfectly in control of evil without himself being evil, right? Or how is it that he's perfectly in control of every single little uh, individual human decision and yet we're not, we're not robots? How is it that we're, we're still free agents? How does that work? And that's uh, not what this sermon is about. Um, you're not the first people to ask that question. If you do, there's been 2,000 years of church history of Christians wrestling with that, and it's a difficult topic. But know this, that your ability to comprehend the absolute control of Christ um, does not impede his control. So just because you don't understand it completely, just because you struggle with how to, how to grapple with evil and control and human decisions and control doesn't mean that that's a struggle for God. It doesn't mean that you don't submit to that. It doesn't mean that you qualify Christ's control by your own understanding. It just means you say, I don't understand it, and there's a lot of things I don't understand, but I'm going to submit to Christ anyway. I'm going to submit to him and how do we do that, right? Because that's, that's pretty abstract. That's a little bit heady. But how, what does that look like, right? What does that look like in the church to say, we as CityGate are going to submit to the control of Christ. We're going to model submission to his lordship for the world. And I would put forth to you that a very practical way that you as CityGate Church can do this is that every Sunday morning when you get together for worship, you decide collectively we are going to submit this worship service to Christ and to his control. And, and what I don't mean by that is that you show up and you don't have a plan, like you don't rehearse that, you know, the pastor just randomly, you know, flips through somewhere and just starts to read. It doesn't mean you don't come to worship with a plan. It means that you come and your plan matches God's plan because God has instructed us in scripture how we ought to worship him. And just to briefly go over, when you meet on Sunday morning for worship, there are four four pillars of worship, all right? So there's the reading and preaching of God's word. There's the prayer of God's people, the praise of God's people, and there is taking the sacraments. So that's communion and baptism. So all four of those things. And so um, congratulations, well done, good, good work, CityGate. Keep, keep doing what you're doing because you, you are doing all those things and that's great because there's a lot of churches in Kalamazoo and in Portage who are not doing all of those on regularly on Sunday morning and they are still calling themselves churches. But if you're, you, you can't be missing one of those and still call yourself a church. So, so good job. It's not um, prideful to, to give yourself a little pat on the back. That's, that's okay. Good job. Keep going. Keep persisting in that. But I also want to... Um, inquire further and to challenge you even more that you need to think about um, everything you do on Sunday morning. So if somebody walks through that door and they're new to church or they're new to City Gate, they ought to be able to sit through a service and come up to you after the service is over and say, why did you do this thing at this time and in, in this way? All right, there needs to be in everything you do on Sunday morning, there needs to be either a Bible verse or a Bible passage, or a biblical principle that backs up what you do, when you do it, why you do it in a certain way, all right? Because that, and in doing so, you're submitting to Christ's control. And I'm not saying that there's some kind of secret code in the New Testament that says, you know, you have to worship exactly this specific way every Sunday, and that if you don't do it exactly this way, God's going to be mad. No, 
You need to focus on those four pillars, and there's freedom. Not every church needs to look exactly the same, but you do need to question yourselves. Are we fully submitted to the control of Christ? Because churches do things different ways. And again, there's freedom, but, but for instance, uh, when I was living in Louisville, our church would stand when scripture was read. And so if somebody comes from that background, they come to Seagate and they say, why do you, why do you sit? There, there needs to be a biblical reason. And I'm not like trying to, to guilt you into to standing. I, I'm just saying you need to think about it. Right? And I'm not saying one is wrong. There's maybe there's freedom to do. I, I'm just saying you, you need to consider it. Some, some churches, uh, they don't begin with a song. They begin by um, a public uh, confession of sin and prayer. So why do you begin with singing? You need to, to know why. Some churches kneel to pray. Why do you, you sit? Um, some churches, um, they practice um, baptism and they, they do it um, on young children or babies and they don't, they don't dunk people. They sprint. So why do you do it that way? You need to know these things because true worship is not being innovative and, and cool. It's, it's following what God has commanded. It's submitting to Christ's control in everything, including Sunday morning worship. And I think some of you might think, you know, that is really nitpicky. And it is to a degree, right? But, but Christ's control of all things is nitpicky, all right? He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows how many blades of grass they are right out there. He, he's in control of everything. He's nitpicky. And that's, you know, a negative word, but that's a good acceptable thing because, you know, the, the enemies of God and your enemies are also nitpicky because they come to Christ, they come to God, and they say, they go over every little thing that you've done wrong, every thought, every action, every motive, every desire, and they give those to God, and he writes all of them out, and then one by one, he looks through your life, and he takes a pen, and he dips it in the blood of Christ, and he goes through and meticulously crosses out every single thing that you have done that is sinful, right? Christ was nitpicky on the cross. He died for every single one of your sins. He is in complete control, complete control over all of creation and complete control over your destiny. And there's not one sin he's forgotten or overlooked. He's nitpicky in that way. And so as the church, when we come together on Sunday morning, we need to be thinking through how do we perfectly submit to the control of Christ? Not out of fear, not out of legalism, but out of a love for God. Out of we want to reflect uh, Christ to the world. We want to tell the world about his lordship. We want to do things the way that God wants us to do things. So that's how you as CityGate can submit to the control of Christ. And there's also, secondly, the authority of Christ. All right, so what, is that, what does that look like? Control and authority. They're a little, they're a little bit different. Right, so uh, when I was uh, babysitting those those boys, um, who had authority? Right, I did. Right, uh, their mom said, "Cole, you're in charge." Boys, Cole is in charge. You know, like yes, mom. None of them could drive. I had a driver's license. Right, that gives me some kind of authority. I think over over them. Right, I was driving. I had authority. Right. And when they were arguing and wrestling with one another and and being mean and obnoxious, you know, I still had authority, but I did not have control. Right, because authority, control is, is might, and authority is the right to wield that control. Authority is right, control is might. And I would say even more specifically, uh, authority, what is it about authority that contributes to Christ's lordship? It is that Christ has the, the right to demand unqualified obedience from each and every one of us and from us as Citygate Church. Christ has the right to command 
unqualified obedience. And you might say, I don't like that, right? There's something inside me. I don't like the word unqualified obedience. That sounds, that sounds bad. And it, it is bad most of the time because most of the time we give our unqualified obedience to things that don't deserve it, right? Um, I remember when I was in high school, uh, I tried a lot of different sports. I was mediocre at a lot of different sports. And I tried wrestling. And it was every day after school, right, three hours a day for practice. I'd go to school in the dark. And, and then I'd come home, and it was, it was dark because of the, the sun. It was a winter sport. And then on Saturday mornings, I'd get up. I'd get on the school bus to go to a wrestling meet, and I'd watch the sunrise. I'd do that all day, and I would get back in the bus to come home, and I would watch the sunset, right? It was, and then my coaches would give me a hard time, like, Cole, why aren't you doing anything on Sundays? Like, we also have stuff for you on Sundays. And I'm like, I'm not going to that. Like, I'm tired. I'm done with that. Like, you can't have all seven days of my week. And so things like that, you know, they can demand our unqualified obedience, right? We're in football season, right? Football demands many uh, men's unqualified obedience. And it doesn't have to be all the time. It can be like, you know, just little things like, does, does the television demand your unqualified obedience for an hour a day? Like, can you just not, can you not go a day without sitting in front of a TV for an hour? Right, so things like that. And then we, we take on all these things that demand our unqualified obedience and it's tiring and it's burdensome. And then God steps in. He says, I want your unqualified obedience. And, I, and you're like, I know what that's like and I'm, I'm not for that. But let me tell you that unqualified obedience to God is freedom. It's freedom and it's the way to joy. There's a um, philosophy about what it means to be free uh, that we read into our Bibles that's not actually found in the Bible. Uh, one of the ideas is that real freedom is the ability to choose between sin and not sinning. It's the, the, that, that kind of choice. And um, I would submit to you that that's not, that is freedom in a sense. It's the freedom Adam and Eve had in the garden, but there's a better freedom than that. The best freedom is the inability to choose to sin. Because who is the most free being? God. God is the most free being, and he never sins. He's not able to sin. And we're not going to be more free than God by having the choice to sin, right? If I, am wearing, if I was wearing a fancy watch, and all of a sudden the dials on it, um, they started spinning counterclockwise, and they weren't keeping the right time, I wouldn't say, wow, my watch is, is, is so free. It's so free to be a good watch. I would say, no, it's, it's broken, right? And we're much more complicated than, than a wristwatch, of course, but if we are sinning against God, if we're choosing to sin, God doesn't look at us and say, oh, they're really free. He says, no, they're, they're really broken, right? Choosing to sin is a sign of brokenness. That's why when, when Adam read from Ephesians 2, um, he didn't say, and you were free in your trespasses and sins. You were free to choose. Isn't that wonderful? No, he said, you were, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's why when we have resurrected bodies, we are going to have the inability to sin, and that's going to be what real freedom is. Real freedom is the inability to sin. It's the unqualified obedience that Christ demands of us. And so considering that, you might think, how do we as Citygate Church submit to Christ's unqualified um, his, his call for our unqualified obedience? And I would, I would put forth this. You need to submit to um, your elders and your pastor. All right, that's how. You need to submit to your elders and to your pastor. And that can be um, difficult. Citygate is a young church, right? And, and first of all, I'm not talking about, um, you don't have unqualified submission to your pastors 
and to your elders, right? There's um, all these, this documentaries and this information coming about about um, scandals in uh, Roman Catholic churches. And there's a lot of people in those that, that say things like, oh, well, we, we knew what was going on, we, so we would keep our kids with us during, during church services, right? That's, that's, not, that's not good obedience. That's an unqualified obedience that is undeserved, right? It's an unqualified obedience that doesn't ask any questions. And we owe that to God because we know he's good and he's perfect and he does no evil. Um, but to our elders and pastors, we don't have that unqualified obedience, but most of the time we don't want to submit to their authority because we just don't want to, right? Because we just don't want you. Uh, CityGate is, is a new church relatively. You're small. You're still, um, you know, a church plant. And one of the things that, you know, John didn't, he didn't, Pastor John didn't come here to an empty room and just start preaching one day, and uh, some people just randomly came through the door, right? He planted with a team. Some of you have been here since that time, or maybe you've been here for, for the majority of CityGate's life. And one of the things they tell you when you're going to plant a church is that 90% of the people who plant the church will leave in the first 10 years, right? So not, that's a lot. And you ask, well, why? Some of the reasons are good, right? People move states, um, or maybe they go help uh, do another church plant because they're, they're good at that. Um, but oftentimes what happens is uh, people who plant a church and they, and they launch a church, they like all the say that they have, right? There's, there's not very many of you right now. Everybody has a lot of say, and how things go, and how things run. But as your church grows and gets bigger, it's going to have more problems, because you're going to have more people, and that's, you know, the ratio of problems to, to people, you know, it always, always goes up. And uh, there's going to be things, and, and you're not going to perhaps have as much authority. You're not going to have as much of a, a say. And your pastors and elders are going to make decisions. And you know what? Christ doesn't ask you to submit to them because they're perfect, and because they're always going to make the right decision, and they're going to do everything really really, really well. He tells you to submit to them because he demands your unqualified obedience, and so you do it, and you model that to the world. Even when your pastor makes a decision that you maybe, it's not your favorite. Maybe you would do it a different way. Maybe you have a different opinion, right? And it's not that you, you shut up and sit down. You, of course, make yourself heard, but when the decision is made, you don't harbor a root of bitterness. Uh, you do, certainly, you don't leave over that, that's extremely immature. You're never going to grow if you just jump from church to church because you're trying to base uh, the health of the church on how much they submit to your authority rather than on thinking about yourself as a servant of the church. And again, your, your pastor, is, you know, John is not perfect. Your elders that you're going to have are not perfect. You need to, to pray for them. They have doubt. They have sin struggles. In some churches, uh, the, the preachers will wear robes uh, to get up and, and do what I'm doing because they're, they're saying, in a sense, that they're of a different cloth, right? They're, they're different from, from uh, you all lay people, right? And they want to distinguish themselves. And there's oh, a, oh, a sense in which that's, that's not totally misguided because First uh, Peter 5 says that the leaders and elders of a church are going to be subject to more strict judgment than people who are not leading. But here's the thing is that Christ is the head and that means everything else is the body, right? Everything else, including your pastors, including your leaders. Uh, I, was, I was talking to your pastor. I asked him um, for, for wisdom and advice and, and he was telling me about ministry and I don't think he had CityGate in mind specifically. I think he's just speaking more broadly to pastoral ministry. He said, you know, Cole, sometimes a lot of people think that pastors 
Um, you know, they, they're, they're doing what everybody else is doing. They're trying their hardest, and they just happen upon this treasure chest of, of gold, of spiritual wealth, and all of a sudden, they just become these super Christians, and, and that's just not the case at all. Or your pastor is, is fallen, and he's sinful, and he sometimes even needs to be called out on that. And when you, if and when that comes, you, you do that in a gracious way, the same way that you would want him to do that to you. And ultimately, you submit to their authority. So that's what you need to do. We live in, an, in, a, in a time when uh, that's not cool, that's not popular to submit to authority. We want to be independent. But when uh, Jesus tells Peter to go minister to the church, he doesn't say, go minister to my strong, independent, and opinionated disciples. And he doesn't say that. He says, go feed my sheep. All right, so if you want to be shepherded, you need to be like sheep. You need to submit to your elders. You need to, to be dependent. Submit to your pastor. Even though they are sinful and even though they're fallen, they're just like you. And so you need to respond not with more severe criticism, but perhaps with, with even more prayer. You know, you need to, to come alongside them, make them a part of your body life. All right? And so that is control. All right, real quick recap. Control. And we've got authority. Control is Christ's absolute power over everything. We model that through uh, submitting our worship service on Sunday morning to him. There's authority, which is his right to our unqualified obedience. And we uh, live that out through submitting to our elders. And finally, there's his presence, right? Christ's presence. And what that means is that uh, the presence of Christ is his, his choosing of a people from among other people to be his exclusive possession, all right, a choosing of a people from among another people to be his exclusive possession. It's subjective, right? Because there's, there's people who, uh, they say, they become Christians, and they say, I've accepted Christ as my Lord. And you might say, that sounds a little ridiculous. Like, uh, Christ is Lord whether you, you really like it or not, right? We're not running an election campaign. We're just saying he's Lord, right? We're making a proclamation. Christ is Lord whether you really like it or not. Right? It's not up to you. Your, your vote and your opinion doesn't go towards much of anything. You know, like Christ is Lord. You know, what, what do you mean you've accepted him as Lord? And what, what people mean by that when they say that, and it's a good thing, is that they're experiencing God in a, a different way. They're experiencing his, his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. When before they had felt far from him, now they feel near to him, the presence of Christ. And you might ask, how do we, how do we submit to uh, to that, to that aspect of it. And I think that the best way to do that, um, as we begin to wrap up, I want to I wanna give you kind of two things. So the first thing is uh, you need to be here on Sunday morning. Right? That, that's priority one. That's not an option. You're here on Sunday morning. Uh, I was recently talking with um, a young gal who was about my age, and she had just gotten married, and she's a Christian, and we were talking, and she said, um, you know, my husband he reads scripture with me every day, uh, and he prays with me every day. And I thought, you know, how many, how many husbands, Christian husbands today, you know, do that with their wives? And then she said, but he doesn't go to church with me because he doesn't really like people. And, oh, like, I didn't say anything because I couldn't think of anything. I could, th- I could think of a lot of things to say, but I didn't, I didn't because, it, you know, Jesus says that, People will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. All right? And that means you gotta, you've got to be here. He says, a new comm- if you love me, if you love Christ, 
then uh, you will obey my commandments. And here's my main commandment, that you love one another, right? Christ is the head and the church is the body, right? You can't separate the head from the body and just carry the head around with you everywhere because that's a dead Christ. That's a fake God, right? You can't have God as your father if you don't have the church as your mother, right? It doesn't work that way. First John 4, uh, chapter, chapter 4, verse 20 says, If you say, I love God, whom you have never seen, and you say, I hate my brother or sister, who you have seen, you're a liar. He says, you're a liar, because you can't love God, who you have never seen, and also hate your brother or sister, who you have seen. It doesn't work that way. You have, to, you have to be here on Sunday morning. That's not acceptable. And so you might think, all right, so I'm here on Sunday morning because I love the body. I'm a part of body life. Um, so how do I, I love the people I'm with more? I'm here, I'm with them, I'm present. I'm modeling Christ's lordship in uh, his presence. And but now what do I do? And here's what you do, and I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, there's somebody here, and they're in this room. You might be sitting next to them. You might be sitting across from them, maybe they came to first service, and they um, are a sinner, just like you, and uh, they love God, they're a godly person, but you don't, you don't like them, right? You don't like them. There's something about you, and it just, it rubs you the wrong way, right? Maybe it's their, their personality, an opinion they have, the way they, they say something, a certain aspect of how they choose to live, and, and you just don't like them, right? Or maybe you can't even think of why. You're just, when that person comes around, there's just something inside of you that is just, it just comes up, and you don't know what it is, but you know you'd rather just take a step back. You just don't like them. You, you feel a little joy when they seem down, and you feel a little envy when they seem, they seem to be doing well. They, you, just, you just don't like them. And you know what? That, that, um, that feeling is, it's not okay, but it is natural. And I would challenge you as you, um, as you go about your week and before you come up to take communion, have that person in your head and pray for them. Or you need to pray for them. This week, once a day, right, every day, you just need to pray for that person. And you don't need to pray, God, please change that person. That is not the prayer that you were praying. You're praying, God, change me, right? And you begin by, you act, that prayer is an act of love because love is not a feeling. There is a, a theologian named C.S. Lewis, and he said, you know, if you don't love somebody and, and you know you should, you, you just start by acting, acting as if you love them, right? And, and then God gives you that, that feeling later, right? You, you need to act, right? John says we don't love in word or in speech, but in, in, um, in action and in deed, right? So pray for them. That is an action. That is a deed. Pray for them. And don't talk about them behind their back in the name of Oh, I'm just, just saying, or, you know, whatever. There was um, another theologian named Augustine, and he, uh, he lived in the 400s, and he had a party at his house. And uh, he had all his, like six of his friends over, and they started talking down about uh, this, this person, this Christian that they knew. And Augustine, he said several times, you know, we, we can't be doing that. We can't be talking about them behind their back, even if it's true things, right? Because you, we both know, like, you know, we're sinners. There are things about us that, that are not good. So we can always find something to talk about concerning another person. And they persisted in it. And so Augustine, he, he got up and he left. 
He left his own party. He left his own house. because he says, I'm not going to tolerate sitting here with other Christians who are bad-mouthing other Christians. So you don't do that. You don't look for an opportunity to think about that person that you don't like and dwell upon it and share it with other people, right? You, you love them and you pray for them. And that's, that's your goal this week because when Christ prayed for the church in John 17, he said, I pray that the church would be one as you and I, speaking to his father, as you and I are one. And he didn't mean love, or excuse me, he, he didn't mean that they would be one in, in opinion on everything, didn't mean one in that they would all have the same personality or one that then they would all like each other, but in that they would all love each other. So as you um, get ready to take communion, I would also advise you, um, it's often the temptation when we're taking communion to kind of get in a, a little individual spiritual kata, uh, you know, uh, not a, the words escaping me, but just to kind of sit and you're maybe praying with your eyes closed or you're reading scripture and that's good. But I would encourage you, look at the people who are coming up and taking communion, right? Because those are your brothers and sisters. Don't, don't have a little tunnel vision. It's about, um, you know, it's not God in you time, right? It's, it's God in the body time. See the people who are coming up and taking communion and pray for them as they do. Be thinking about them because listen, Christ did not die for your sins, Christ did not die for your sins. Christ died for your sins and for your brother's sins and for your sister's sins, right? Not just for yours, but for theirs as well, right? Don't try to conform your brothers and sisters into your image. Leave room for God to conform them into his own image. Let's pray, and then uh, we're gonna, we're gonna take communion. Jesus, we know that you are Lord. We look forward to when you will return and you will visibly reign. I pray for Citygate Church, God, that they would model submission to Christ in, in his control, in his authority, and in his presence, that you would empower them by the Spirit to do that, that they would not act out of a fear or out of a desire to earn your love, but that they would, they would always do everything out of the knowledge of your love for them and that they would love one another because that's hard and it's difficult and it's what you've called us to do. And we know that on our own, we won't do it. And uh, so we, uh, God, please give us your spirit so that we can love each other. And I ask that as we, we take communion, uh, that, you would, that you would begin to work in our lives, that we would see our brothers and sisters around us and that we would love them as you I love them as well, and that we would work towards that because we're going to spend eternity with them and uh, help us to begin to enjoy that reality now. And amen.